Right, so on Cardiff Live now, we're joined by uh, Alan Thomas, course leader for popular and commercial music at the Atrium University of South Wales and a well-known guitarist around Cardiff. Tell us a little bit about your um, about your role these days and a little bit about your history at the university. Okay, well, I started off as a guitar teacher. Uh, um, I was called oh, back in 2004 or five or something like that, where we were based up in Triforest. And the course back then was run by Paul Carr, Professor Paul Carr, and... Uh, yeah, I think we were looking for a guitar teacher. So I went up and had to chat with him and got grilled a bit um, and sort of sort of informal interview. And that's how I started, really, teaching bass and guitar to first and second year students. And from there, I picked up a, f- a few more hours. Um, I've always been interested in quite obsessive about music theory. I'm quite geeky in, in those terms. So I started teaching theory classes. And then an opportunity came about 2008, I think, uh, to develop like the Welsh language stream. Yes. On the course. Yes. So I was awarded a, a teaching fellowship. So that that, that, that was my inroads then into a, a, a full time position here. Tell us a little bit about the kind of cultural geography of Welsh within Wales. You know, kind of you know, there's kind of hot spots and there's different kinds of Welsh and colloquialisms and all kinds yeah. of stuff, isn't that? Yeah, there are sort of like uh, areas which are like, like when I was up in North Wales, like especially if you're in places like. Uh, Carnarvon or Bangor or like in the villages surrounding like Bethesda and Anglesey as well in Ismone you know um, if you were to enter a shop you know you you would try Welsh first you oh. would speak Welsh first and that would be the assumption that everyone would speak Welsh and especially it's the same on the Sheen Peninsula often enough obviously there are a lot of Welsh speakers in Cardiff but they're well hidden they're well hidden when we're not you know we look the same as non non Welsh speakers look normal yeah so yeah, I think a lot of people think sometimes, oh, there's not a lot of Welsh speakers in Cardiff, and there mm. are. You just mm. you, you just can't spot them until you start talking to them, really. And Do you see yourself as a Cardiffian? Because yeah, that's where you were born. But you're a bit of a mongrel, I suppose. A bit of a mongrel, yeah, I guess. Mm. Yeah, no, I've always considered myself uh, a Cardiff boy. I think I've got this. Sorry to interrupt. I've got this yeah. thing. You know what? I'm kind of um, a, a bit of a pariah. Is that the right word? Like, because um, when I was in North Wales, when I moved to North Wales, I was the lad from. I was the Huntu, I was the lad from South Wales, and then when I moved back to Cardiff, people had forgotten that I originally came from here. Yeah. So I was the Gog then. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, wherever I am, I'm from somewhere else. Yeah. Do you feel kind of saddened, I suppose, by the perception of Cardiff as being a bit of a kind of um, uh, cosmopolitan kind of place, even though it's the capital city of Wales, where? It's not recognised, apart from the rugby and whatever, it's not recognised as being the kind of bastion of, of Welsh language in Wales, is it? Possibly, yeah. It's not something I've put a great deal of thought into, really. I don't think I feel saddened by that. Um, I think it's good that it's a cosmopolitan city and mm. yeah, and having, you, you know, there's, I mean, there's, you know, beyond Welsh and English, there, there are many languages spoken in the city as well, yeah. isn't there? So I mean, that North Wales, South Wales thing, you know, you know, no, you know, yeah, uh, no divide. one talks, no one talks Welsh down there. You know, yeah, you know, I think that's a bit upsetting. Yeah, yeah. that needs some work, and mm. you know, it's obviously like it's easy to get west to east and east to west. Mm. Um, it's easy for us in the south to get to Bristol, and transport links up north would be a lot better getting to, you know, it's easier to get to Liverpool or London than it is to get to Cardiff from Bangor, for example, you know. You know? Yeah. So I think it may be a, a geographical issue and a transport issue maybe, really, but... Um, 
what about music and and because I, I i i believe there's a guitar over there it may even be something like a a fender or what is it i think it's a yamaha acoustic it's a yamaha acoustic guitar yamaha yeah so i mean i rarely see you with that i don't know you can make a little noise and i just approve there's a guitar i just said i'll do yeah that's it there you go so I, re- I rarely see you without a guitar in your hand or around you in the yeah. office. It kind of runs through your soul, really, doesn't it? You I'm know? quite obsessed with the instrument. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Tell me a little bit about um, your your love of guitar playing and, and and music and why it matters to you and you know how did you, you know what's driven you on to be so obsessed with about guitars? Well, I think um, it was. I've always played in musical instruments. Obviously, again, going back to this like Welsh language culture thing, where it's second nature and and this more or less expected for students to engage and children to engage with these sort of things. It was my idea that I wanted to play guitar. So my mother encouraged me to do piano, which I enjoyed for a bit. Then Mm. I went on to brass, played uh, cornet in a local brass band. But the guitar was my idea. I approached my parents and said, I want a guitar. So that was a big deal, I think. Yeah. Of the the whole thing. And yeah, so I got a... My dad's friend lent me a guitar when I was... I don't know, 13, 12, 13, went from there. My brass tutor was also a guitar player, so he said to me, if I practice really hard on the brass, rather than give me an hour's uh, trumpet, uh, cornet lesson, he would allocate the last 15 minutes to a guitar lesson. Mm. So I did that. Mm. And, yeah, just really enjoyed playing. And I, again, like, it was an opportunity for me to play more popular music and more sort of pop and rock, really. Yeah. And then I think when I was about 15, I heard a player called Steve I. He's not bad. Called. He's all right. Um, yeah, I heard an album called Passion and Warfare, and it just mm. blew me away. Mm. I couldn't, I'd never considered that a guitar could sound like that. Yeah. And all these sounds that he was doing, all these techniques that he was employing, mm. it was a complete mystery f- to me. So I became obsessive, and obviously it was harder those days. There was, I didn't have access to internet. I was reliant on sort of tab tablature books and books from music stores and knowing a kid who was a bit older than you lived up to the street who knew one more chord than you and hoping that he'd teach you that. Yeah. But yeah, I remember just waking up, uh, getting up at six o'clock in the morning just to get an hour or two practicing before I had to go to school mm. and then rushing back and playing some more and if yeah. I needed to go to the loo, I'd take the guitar with me to the loo mm. and yeah. And you went through the bit where your fingertips get all sore and all the rest of it, and then yeah. they became harder. And then they became like yeah. cat paws. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Calloused. You didn't have to use the old, um, what's it called, um, the the pickling vinegar and all that no, stuff. People, oh, that the was old no wives' trick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, you, well, can you remember? I don't know, you've got a guitar there with you. I don't know whether you can remember. Can you remember kind of, or maybe I'll put it a different way. If there was a, if, if I was a brand new guitarist, is there a, what's the kind of first kind of thing you you would show me? Or explain, or is it like is it like a well, is, it, is there any kind of um, tutorials or kind of uh, techniques and repetitive things that you would sort of start off with? Well, the first thing I learned, I think the first song I remember learning the first song, which was painted black. Oh yeah, what a great Stones. song to learn first. Yeah, just the chords, just playing the chords. Yeah. I think it's I don't know if it's the right key from the track, or just A minor and E really. But I remember the first thing that really got me into um, into the freedom of like pop and rock music was improvising. Yeah, and I've always and I remember um, it was a a lad called Simon Spot. That wasn't his real name, but the, he was called Simon. But I think good name. Yeah, the surname was a nickname. Yeah, and he showed me a pentatonic scale, a minor pentatonic scale, and he said you can play any note of this scale on top. I'm of glad anything. you said this because I'm I, I I've played for a long long time. Okay, I, I mean I I've got like um, platonic and catatonic about the only two scales I know. You know, I'm really, right. I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I struggle. Could you show me that? 
So this is a... So that's a A minor pentatonic scale. So it's a five note scale. Mm. And it's very easy to deal with. And um, you can just play around with these notes. And it's very conducive for improvising, I suppose. And it's also very easy on the fingers. There's no stretching. There's only two notes Mm. per string. So it suits the economics of the guitar. So I think, yeah, that's... Obviously, my improvising, I think all my solos at the start when I was 14 would have sounded like this, just going up and down the scale. Mm. That I'd like to go up for a bit of variation. Yeah, that developed into mm. sort of, yeah, that, that, that definitely helped my love for uh, improvisation and things so like that. So can you explain to me, like, I've played in bands for years and whatever, and I, you know, I'm more of a chord merchant and a singer and a yeah. songwriter, really, you know? But I know I just don't have the technical dexterity. I don't think to to ever be a lead guitarist. I feel I can, you know, I can I could learn parts. I can play parts. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not terrible, but it's just not what what I do. So explain to me, yeah, uh-huh. how and why learning the scales is so useful and so important if you ever want to solo. I think it's just developing that sort of muscle memory and uh, that dexterity and. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be a scale, there can be patterns. I used to do like these exercises and just sit in like certain things you can do in front of the telly. Obviously I was trying to like maximize my, my time on the guitar. Do, so, you, do you know any of those? Could you show me one of those? Yeah, just like a little, just using all the fingers. So you got, <clears throat> you use four fingers generally. So Hendrix used to use his thumb a lot as, as well. Oh yeah. But just little sort of chromatic things where I'm, I'm moving through all my fingers one at a time. <laughs> And just developing these and then trying to think of permutations of that and variations. So you can do string skipping. Sounds great straight away, doesn't it? And then rather than going one, two, three, four, what Mm. what about sort of varying that? So I'll I'll try in terms of fingering, one, two, three, four, two, three, four, one, three, four, one, two, four, one, two, three. Wow, just sounds like jazz. Yeah, it does instantly sounds like yeah, jazz. Yeah. yeah, wow. How long would it take you to? You know, I mean, uh, I remember somebody else telling me about this actually. Uh, somebody, I think, what you said about muscle memory, maybe that resonated with me. Is the idea that the thing to do, and I don't really agree with this, is just to play these things really quite slowly. Yeah. At first, and yeah, quite slowly, yeah, yeah. and then slowly and slowly to build up that actual muscle memory. Then. Yeah, I think. So. Yeah, that's the thing. I think people try and rush try and get it up to speed too quickly if, if that makes sense so there's a I was speaking to a guy in, when I was out in Australia and uh, he was an ex US military guy I think he was in the Navy or what do they call them over there the Marines mm. he said that when they used to teach them to draw their guns they, they used to do, teach them to do it slow because the, and this is his words not mine slow is smooth and smooth is fast so right, if, yeah. if you can learn to do oh, it yeah. smooth mm. with minimal movement mm that allows you then to translate that and speed that up and yeah slow is smooth and smooth is fast i've always that's always stuck with me you do the stuff which 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 uh, i'm you know impresses me i'm in yeah and certain things like for example when you play in there i know it's a you know what by me you know i know you, you teach guitar and whatever from some people it's the kind of downstrokes upstrokes thing when you're trying to do when you're trying to pick that kind of stuff yeah and have a natural kind of you know yeah and kind of uh, ability to do that even you know yeah comfortably just flit up and down. Yeah, we're on the radio here, but kind of, you know, you, you know what I mean, don't you? Yeah, exactly. Um, well, what would you like me to to to, to do in t- in terms of that? Um, because it's it's just getting used to those movements. Obviously, these aren't movements that we do every day, 
You do. Yeah, but but you have to get used to it. Obviously, like well, this is this is the the, the thing I used to tell my students. If especially when they get het up with feeling a bit like they're not progressing very much, the first time you pick up the guitar, it's gonna feel like an alien thing in terms of positioning and and how you hold yourself and the ergonomics of the whole thing. To remind myself of what that felt like and how far you've come, I often flip the guitar over oh, wow. and try and play left-handed and then all of a sudden you, you, you've got... Blimey. You, you can remember what it was like. Can you play left-handed? No, I can do it, but the, the, mm. I can, I'm trying to strum an E chord now. But this is what it would have felt like for me Yeah, yeah. back in the day. And I, well, I'm, you know, changing chords and, okay, I'm, oh my God, I'm going to try and do a... Hendrix a, played upside down. A note. Yeah. So, yeah, just to remind yourself, that's where you used to be at. Yeah, why, why did why did Hendrix do that then? Why do why did he why do he flip a guitar around? Um, I think people, to be honest, um, I did the same. I started playing left-handed. So when I first when my dad's friend brought his acoustic guitar on for me to borrow, hmm. I placed it on my lap the wrong way around. So I, I because you were mirror, mirroring him. Not really. No? It, that's just what felt right, hmm. um, and that's what would have felt right to Jimi Hendrix, I guess, hmm. and he would have stuck with that because no one would have told him any different and it's fine but my dad's friend told me um no you're holding that the wrong way around yeah so i just persevered with the other way mm. doing uh, it right-handed i guess and and the rest is history in your yeah. case really when did you um i mean i, I don't know if you read this book but a book by uh he's not everyone's cup of tea by any means but uh, jules holland and he, he wrote this book about his kind of career as a musician and whatever i think it's called something boast and boogie woogie something or other it's okay. a really good book but he talked about the fact when he was a young kid probably 12 you know, like yourself or around about maybe a bit, a bit younger yeah. and there was a piano in, in, in his uncle's house or something like this and he started playing it and, and it was you know he just it sort of came naturally to him and he right. sort of started playing his boogie woogie stuff quite quickly and he could just kind of do it you know, did yeah. you have that? No, you didn't. They didn't come to no. you the same way, like a revolution. I can actually do this. No. Well, no, it was the opposite. One of the impetuses for uh, getting a guitar was uh, me and the boys in the school wanted to join a band. So three of us got guitars. Um, this is your first band. Yeah. Which was? I think we were called Apollo B. Okay. Because Apollo was the god of music, and we were great. Apollo B. Yeah. <laughs> Very uh, arrogant. Of Where us. was this? Uh, this was up in Bangor as okay. well. Okay. Yeah. So. I was all set to play bass. I wanted to play bass to start with. And I remember going into Picton Arcades again with my father. Hmm. And uh, the guy just questioned me. I don't know why, but he questioned me and said, why do you want a bass guitar? Do you play guitar? I said, no, I want to play bass. Why do you want to play bass? Oh, because me and the boys are putting a band together. Those two, the other two are going to get guitars and uh, hmm. I'm going to get a bass. And the guy said to me, that's not how it works. He said, you've all get guitars. And after six months, whoever's the most rubbish guitar player, you stick him on bass. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's what happened. And so I got a guitar. It was mm. a red Axis Stratocaster copy. Wow. And I wasn't a natural. Um, my other two friends, they were the naturally gifted guitar players, really. Mm. And that annoyed me. And I was really competitive. Yeah. Yeah. And I just worked harder and, and just like I said, got up at six o'clock in the morning and getting two hours practicing before school. I, I think that, is, I mean, I'm reading some articles recently about guitar, which I'll maybe come on to in a bit, but one of the things about it is the competitive nature of guitar playing. Yeah. 
in particular with guitar, isn't it? Yeah, I think yeah, and I think this is why we end up with all these like virtuosic sort of players, like like your Steve Eyes and things like that. Mm. Uh, we all sort of compete against each other. It's quite a is that like a male psyche thing, or is that across the genders? Yeah, it it does seem to be sort of like a bit of a because there's some, some great female players, obviously. Yeah, of course. Yeah, like Jennifer Batten, who played yeah. with like Michael Jackson's incredible. Mm. But um, yeah. yeah, it might be a bit of a machismo thing, but uh, I think it's healthy competition. Yeah, yeah, you push each other, don't you? And because that's the thing, you see, it is a healthy competition because I love seeing other players doing amazing things, mm. and it, all it does is inspires me to tr- to try. And you love jamming as well, do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah that interaction with other players yeah. and. Talking about other players, tell me a little bit about some of the kind of that was your first band. Yeah. So o- over the years, have there been other bands which you you know long, longer term things? Which he, well, yeah. When I came back to Cardiff, then um, I played in like school, like jazz bands and things like that. Um, but me and a bunch of friends started like, a stoner rock group called Mondo Trans Shop. Uh, we played Mondo Trans Shop, Mondo Trans with a Z Shop. Uh, Good name. Yeah, and we played sort of like sort of. Uh, really heavy, doomy, sludgy, and sort of often sort of stoner grooves. We did a lot of gigs with them. That developed into a band later on called Black Caesar, which was an instrumental band, uh, no vocals. Um, and we, I played the lap steel on that. So wow. I, but but I, it was still heavy. Hmm. So I played lap steel, going through distortion pedals and overdrives, and wow. adding lots of delays and effects on it. But alongside that, I was in. I used to. Um, play in an indie band called Circus Normal. I'm st- I'm actually rejoining those guys. Uh, ben, the lead singer from that, um, Ben Willis, is currently working on some recordings and he's starting to gig a lot. And he's gigging in St David's Hall in, in a couple of weeks with uh, Amy Wadge. He works. He writes a lot, quite oh, yeah. a few songs with Amy. Yeah. So that's a, a project called Lunar Rescue at the moment. So I'm working with them, and it's nice because I haven't I haven't worked with those boys for probably over 15 years. Mm. We met up in the Birchgrove pub. Uh, a couple of Sundays back to sort of organise a practice and so we're going to plough ahead with that. Over the last four years I've been doing a really fun project uh, called Raider which is essentially an 80s hair metal uh, outfit. Is it like a self-conscious kind of to some extent sort of parody bit going on there at all? Um, More of a homage. Yeah yeah, we don't like the term parody so we're not we don't want to create like a, a Steel Panther thing. Yeah. It's more like we genuinely love music from that period mm. and we generally love the sort of big sort of him um you know your white snakes and your van halens and it's something that i never thought i'd do because in 1990 when it was all over and that wasn't cool anymore because like people like kirk cobain was on the scene i was 14 mm. so i could never have done that type of music back then because it, it wasn't just cool but i think it's it's, it's there's been a lift time enough of a gap now so that Mm. It's thirty years later, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a long time. Thirty to forty years later, yeah. and, and mm. pe- people accepting. I was, a, and mm. I think it's the nostalgia of it as well. People know these uh, these, these songs and these rock songs from you know eighties movies and you things playing like covers? that. You playing covers? No covers. It's all originals. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we are thinking of introducing a cover to the set, but no, it's it's all purely original stuff. But it kind of nods towards that stuff. Yeah, and nods yeah. to the eighties, really. Yeah, mm. it's it's all about fun. Mm. Uh, music often um, is quite sort of solemn and serious and, and musicians are often well, very I've seen some introverted. Videos. I, I don't see much of that going on. No, we're not introverts. No, there's no room for introverts in this band. No. This, this is the one where the singer's got... What does the singer do? He's got a great voice, but uh, I think he uses some sort of technique to make the voice sound huge. I think you told me about it before. Gang vocals, possibly? Um, yeah, those like to get those big sort of yeah. Def Leppard gang vocals. Massive vocals. Yeah, yeah, so you just keep overlaying 
the the same uh, the same voice over and over again, and it helps if if you've got more, more than one. Scene but you recreate it live somehow, don't you, as well? Uh, we do cheat a little bit, I suppose. If, yeah, you could call it cheat. It's not cheating. It's utilizing technology um, processes, vocal processes. Oh yeah. We use um, well, like everyone does these days. Um, we play to click and the backing track. Okay. So we can introduce extra keyboards, <clears throat> backing vocals to our live show. Things that we can actually do. In, in ear monitors. Or? For the drummer, yes. Yeah, that involves a fair bit of shredding, no doubt, does it? It does. Yeah, yeah. I'm not as dexterous as I used to be, but could you, it's could you demo a little. Shred, not on this guitar. No, I was wondering if you could on acoustic, actually. <laughs> I like that one where you where you're playing it and then you you like hitting the string further up. Oh, the tapping. Yeah, thing. I so love this that is stuff. The, <clears throat> yeah, I the, love that stuff. everyone thinks Eddie Van Halen um, invented this. Yeah, he's he known for it, wasn't he? I suppose. So that type of nonsense, really. That's yeah, very yeah, nice yeah. on a, uh, a Yamaha a Yamaha acoustic guitar. Yeah. yeah, you need like a, a Jackson or a Chavel. Or yeah, something I know you like, like you like those. I'm just asking you about your favorite guitars. I know you like Chavels yeah. and Jacksons. Is it the, the look, the feel, the sound, or the whole shoot and match? It's the feel because yeah. um, I remember my first professional standard guitar. Again, it was bought in Picton Arcade, so I went back there about two years later after I bought my first guitar after being told not to buy a bass. I used to do like some acting when I was a kid. I used to do like a, a, a bit of like. I did a TV program for HTV Wales, like a historical drama. So I had a bit of money in the bank, but I think my uh, budget was about 250 quid to 300 quid. Um, when was this? Oh, 1989. Fair bit of money then, really? At that time? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Enough yeah, to meet, yeah. It was good that, that I had those sort of like acting opportunities, really, and mm. made a bit of money that way. So I walked into the Picton Arcade and. Uh, Same guy? I can't remember to be honest, um, but I liked that shop. Yeah, yeah. so um, yeah, I tried a few guitars out, and I, th I thought I made a decision, but I wasn't going for that pointy sort of metal guitar. I was looking for a more traditional sort of normal-looking guitar, you know, like mm. a Strat or like something like that. And my dad's just for a laugh, I think, or just like of interest. He said, um, "I wonder what makes." thousand pound guitar better than a 300 pound guitar but you know it's a brave comment for a father to me i know it's a bit stupid on his part really <laughs> yeah so he and i saw well i like there was a white jackson soloist and a black jackson soloist and so he pulled down the black jackson soloist and said oh i like this it looks mean it looks thrash metal you know it looks they like get that look haven't they yeah. like, it looks like a guitar metallica would use or yeah. anthrax or something like that mm. played it and it was fine and I could tell it was higher qualities instantly, but then so that went back on the shelf, and then the white Jackson came down, which wasn't my favourite in terms of aesthetic. But for some reason, I put that in my lap, and I went, "Oh my god, this just feels right. Mm. Everything ergonomically, it just felt right. Yeah. It felt easy to play. It just screamed quality." Mm. And I turned to my dad and said, "Sorry, mate, I don't think I can go back to where." After playing this, yeah. I'm not going to be able to. Mm. I'm not going to be happy with that 300 pound guitar. So thankfully, my dad's an awesome haggler. I had a bit more money than 300 quid. I think. I think I had five, but I wanted to keep some savings back. He managed to haggle it down to 700 quid cash. Right. And fair play to him, he put up the other 200 quid. And to that day, to this day, that's still my favourite guitar. Still wow. my go-to guitar. It's nice, yeah. Yeah. Have yeah. you got a name for your guitar? A Jackie, I guess. Fair enough. I think yeah. she, yeah, she's a female, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, how many guitars have you got now? Oh, um, it's my wife going to hear this. Um, um, not necessarily. No, no. Um, I have around 
27 things with strings on. So that includes mm. basses, banjos, uh, and mand- do banjolin. You, do and you hide like some of them away? I do. I have some yeah. in the office that yeah. my, yeah. my yeah. other half doesn't know about yet. Because I see sometimes boxes coming in which look like guitar-shaped yeah. boxes. You know? Yeah, I've yeah. got a bit of a problem with that. I started buying... I started buying up all those. I still like right off to Jackson magazine every year, pretending that I was interested in buying another Jackson. I couldn't afford that, obviously. But what they mm. used to do then was send you a brochure, so you'd get a yearly brochure. So I was doing these mental wish lists when I was a kid, going through these guitars and said, "When I grow up, I want this one. I want that one." Yeah. So what I've been doing is um, finding these old eighties and nineties guitars on eBay, and gradually putting the, the set together. Yeah, and and buying those things that I wanted when I was a mm, kid, and mm. I've always, but I've, I've, I, you know, the plan was to get the guitar, restore them, put them back to factory spec. So a lot of them have been altered and modded, so I'd put the original parts back in and get it as as it came out of the factory, basically, with, with an eye to sell it. Mm. Once I've done that, as soon as I've finished the project, I go, oh, this is far too. We cool. all know you're not going to sell them. No, because it's far too cool yeah, instruments. Yeah, and I want to. Yeah. I've got something invested in this now, so yeah. Yeah, I hate selling guitars. I always regret it when I sell guitars. Yeah. You know, it's kind of, you know, simple mathematics, you know, really don't don't want to be cruel to you, but you don't really need 27 of them. No, I don't. You know? No. Some of them are the same guitar, but in yes. a different finish. Yeah. Yeah, so so I'm, I'm a bit of a completist. Mm. I think that that's me anyway. I've got over 100 yo-yos, Steve. Yeah, Have I'm you? obsessed with yo-yos as well. Okay, so I've got. We'll do a show about yo-yos. 150 yo-yo, 150 yo-yos at least. Wow, ranging from things from a quid up to one yo-yo was recommended retail price of 150 pound. Whoa! But you know, to justify this, it is made of aircraft grade aluminium. Oh, there we go. <laughs> yeah, worth the money. Yeah, it's well balanced. Um, uh, yeah. How many acoustic guitars do you have? Uh, well, I have a, a Spanish guitar because mm. um, I did a, a, um, some classical playing when I was younger as well. Oh, yeah. I've got a nice sort of semi-acoustic Charvel. Oh, I haven't seen that. And those. I've got a 12-string guitar as well, which is also mm. a Charvel. This is a theme. I'm, I'm a big Charvel and Jackson fan. Yeah, yeah, I've noticed. Do you have any kind of... I don't know, I don't want to put you on the spot at all, but do you, do you have any kind of finger-picking technique, kind of guidance for acoustics, by any chance? Um, is it like, you know, people talk about the claw and this, that and the other. Is there a simple routine yeah. somebody could learn? I think a good. I think well, this my starting point was just sort of a, the classical technique. So you don't really use your little finger. You use your your three middle fingers and your thumb. So the yeah. thumb does the bass. Yeah. And um, I never use a little finger. Yeah, some people do. So I think like the first simple classical piece that I learned was um, the Spanish Romance, was it? <laughs> That piece, yeah, it's lovely. Yeah, it's a very beautiful piece, it's very simple yeah. to play. Mm. But the right hand does so the say. same pattern, <laughs> the, the, the right hand does the same pattern over and over again, mm. and it's just working through the fingers, uh, thumb, and thumb. And, oh, I can't remember the names of your fingers, we, we have letters for them Pima P I M A. Okay, um, but you just do this sort of repeating pattern, really. And again, oh, okay. over time, it just builds yeah. up that muscle memory mm. and it just becomes quite, quite natural to just use your fingers. Yeah, I think do you so. Use, do you do sort of gypsy jazz stuff at all? Not really, not really, no. Oh. I sort of um, played around with certain techniques. Mm. I'm going to find a different tuning now. 
like my old teacher Viv Locke um, used to oh, yeah. show me a couple of things he was your guitar teacher he was, yeah, for about a year when I was about 17, wow. 18. Yeah, yeah. He's still knocking around, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's still playing still and still playing, examining. Yeah. He's great, Viv. Yeah. He's a superstar. Yeah. Yeah, I started playing with, like, around these, like, sort of bluesy sort of things. Um... But, yeah, getting that sort of percussive sort of uh, claw hammer type of techniques. But That's nice. What tuning is that then? That's a drop. You drop your right down to a G, so it's a drop G, really. Okay. And you can play open tuning stuff, then, yeah? I don't. I'm an I'm a out and out lead player, really. I should have brought mm. one of my Jacksons in so I could get the whammy bear action on the go, you know? Yeah, but I, I've dabbled in acoustic playing and acoustic, yeah. but like I say. That's like, great. That blue stuff on the acoustic sounds really nice. Yeah, yeah. But. Yeah, again, like a, a, a lot of um, players I know, they, they just dedicate uh, so much time to playing solo. But for me, the, the most fun you can get out of the music is playing with other people and bouncing off other people yeah. in bands. Yeah. So that's when I've I've literally like, I was that guy at a party, oh, you're a guitar player, he plays a song. And I said, well, I can't, I can just play the lead line. I need my bassist and my drummer and and, yeah. and, and the singer here, you know. But I'm happy in that in that role, really. I'm happiest but, in that role. But if you were at a party or like a campfire or whatever and somebody started playing guitar, no doubt, because of your knowledge of the scales, you could pretty well jam along to That's, anything. Yeah, I like, yeah. Play by ear, I guess, as well. Yeah, I do that, yeah. I guess someone has to sing and play the chords and then mm. I'll just do some pretty pretty stuff on the top. Or And you can play what you hear, I suppose. To an extent, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and when did you, I guess you read... Yes. So when did you start reading music? Well, that happened before the guitar, you see, because because of obviously... Um, in school? Yes, and um, I did violin lessons first oh, in school. Oh, of course, yeah, and then, and then the brass instruments. Then the piano, then the brass. Yeah. Yes, we, so I was... Yeah, You're a walking music shop, really, aren't you, you know? Yeah, I know. Yeah, you work yeah. in every department. I know, yeah. <laughs> Master of none, though. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. Um, on on that subject, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna ask, I'm just got in my mind a few things I want to ask you. Gambling's closing down, kind of the yeah. emotional kind of you know that's, feel that's, of that. It's a shame. End of an era it? in a way, isn't it? Yeah, it is because that was my go-to shop. Not the friendliest shop, always, but well stocked. No, I think th th there was a certain way to get on the on side. Oh yeah. With it, yeah. You had the trick, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah what was yeah. the trick then? I'm not really sure. I think it was uh, being polite to the mother. And, yes, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh just being respectful really and I think I think you know when they hear you playing they think oh he's not a bad player then you maybe you would have got slightly more sort of positive experience in there. I think Mrs. G was always um my my memories of her was whatever you do uh, you know as kind of the golden rule do not pick up a book with chords in it and start trying to learn a song. You know, looking you know she, this is not a library was one of her favorite no, quotes. No. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But it is sad, you know, yeah. when those kind of things happen. Um, yeah. Of course, the high street in Cardiff, you know, we had cranes and then the PMT, which is a big kind of uh, beer moth, really, isn't it? Yeah, big Blows chain. the stuff out, out, right. out, out, out of the water. Yeah. What about um, on, on that kind of similar topic, really, kind of venues closing down and kind of evolution of music in, in Cardiff? Where are we at, in your in your opinion, at the moment in Cardiff as a, a kind of uh, a centre for music? Um, well, I think it's still a great city for music. Um, I'm not a, as pessimistic. Obviously, I'm a bit long in the tooth, so I'm not as pessimistic as a lot of people about venues closing down. The loss of Goody Who is devastating because that, that was genuinely my favourite music. And we walk past venue. it every day, don't we? And it's just, just yeah. a wall with paint on it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and it's quite sad, isn't it? And it, mm. it's such a pro good proximity to the university. Yeah. And they were so accommodating. I could. Ha it was my exam room. Nice beer my, as well, I nice remember. Nice beer. Yeah, yeah, nice people. Yeah. It was inclusive. Cozy, yeah. Yeah. 
but I remember when that wasn't there as well. So, in terms of venues closing, they come and they go. I suppose they come and they go. Yeah, yeah. and as long as they keep coming as fast as they they're, they're going, I think we're okay. I think like Tiny Rebel in town is starting to get a really good reputation as a mm. as a music venue, and that wasn't there a couple of years ago. Yeah, that's true. And I'm as so- a music venue, and yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's some of our students as well who are quite involved with, you know, the, like the Vulcans coming through now. It's kind of you know, being run by one, uh, a lad called Mike and right. putting on gigs there at least. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's <clears throat> music festivals going on, so it, it does it does kind of swing around. People obviously talk about the epicenter, of course, being uh, Womanby Street. Yeah, and, you know, yeah, yeah. It's a political kind of nature to that, isn't That's it? That's it, yeah, yeah. But, you know, music is kind of as, as a kind of cultural form and what it brings to the city. So, if you know, there's sort of this kind of, uh, hoo-ha about these venues closing down which I totally understand and support yeah. yeah but as you say these venues and the, they come and they go but historically if you look at music and performance of music and you compare it to other forms of the arts such as notably you know theatre and this kind mm-hmm. of stuff you know it's kind of oh yeah it's only music you know it's just yeah. just some guy playing a few chords chuck a couple of coins in, in the pot you know why does music matter well there is a problem in terms of the perception of its value I think High class, low class kind of stuff. Yeah, possibly. Hmm. You know, people go and watch a film and there's music, isn't it? And yeah, you know, people go into an elevator and there's often music. People get put on hold and there's music. Okay, it's not not great music. (laughs) Doesn't necessarily be amazing music, but yeah, Yeah. it's everywhere, isn't it? But maybe maybe Hmm. because it's so ubiquitous, that's what why people don't think it's valuable. But it is valuable because bands getting booked for certain functions or weddings or gigs often like demand quite a high fee. And and people people always equate it to, hang on, you're getting this this many hundreds of pounds or thousands of pounds to play an hour and a half, you're only working an hour and a half, and they go, well, hang on, no, it's not just that hour and a half you're getting paid for, you're getting paid for those twenty thousand hours that you put in to learn your instrument and hone your craft. Mm. They're paying for the the equipment that's quite expensive. Um, you, you can talk like a professional setup for a guitar play, you know, could set you back thousands of pounds in itself. All those other things that you don't actually see, you know, there's more to music than that 45 minutes or an hour that you see a band yeah. on stage. It's yeah. like, it's like um, I can't remember, when, when, I think it was Keith Richards or one of the Stones, I'm not sure, I may be incorrect. And someone said, what's it been like playing music for 50 years? And he said, well, I haven't been playing music for 50 years. I've been playing music for about three months and the rest of it was hanging around. <laughs> <laughs> or yeah, doing other stuff, you know. Tra- that's kind of thing Keith Richard probably would say. His book is fantastic. Have you read it? No. Oh, you got to read Keith. Okay. It's it's absolutely fantastic. You'll love it. Okay. As a guitarist, he talks yeah. about the tunings and the way he plays the Stones chords, and when uh, you hear it, it's there. You know. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's re- it's a really fantastic uh, book. Here's here's one. Here's a starter for ten. Yeah. I've just been reading this article, and it's essentially saying, like, kind of other kind of artifacts over the years, how they get devalued. As we go into this kind of realm of bedroom artists and EDM, et cetera, et cetera, you know, our guitars are dying thing, you know. Will we still need, do we still need guitars? Um, Will we still need them in a few years? Are we starting to get challenged by the no- notion okay. of a physical thing called a guitar? I, you know, we can recreate them as software, you know. It's such a tactile instrument. Mm. I don't it's breaking think. your heart now. I can see in your face. No, no, I'm, I'm not scared. I'm not, I'm not threatened. Mm. No, I think it'll always be there. Like, you know, uh, you know, certain genres of music will always need guitars. If you think of like heavy metal, for example, mm. and that's a beast that's, Which that's never, never going to die. It's never gone no, away, it's yeah. just it's, it's mm. remained constant, isn't it? Mm. And that genre of music is still picking up new fans, and and the genre's developing. Um, so no, I don't feel threatened. I think kids will always there'll be a healthy number of kids who will always want to play guitar and play it loud and fast. 
good. I agree. I hope you're right. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of one of these things, you know, people say radio's dead, you know. Yeah. It's very, very much kind of isn't. But, you know, they're kind of these uh, yeah, yeah. tales and myth which well, which did, go around. Did they also say that microwaves would kill home cooking? <laughs> yeah. And technological pessimism, I think this yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. There's a, lot, there's a lot of that. Also, how can people find out more about Radar? Uh, we're on we're on Spotify Raider, um, uh, all the social media platforms. Okay. Raider Music UK on Facebook and Instagram and all these things. Okay, and hopefully you can you know we can add up a link for you and you yeah, can send, send some great pictures and whatever we stick them on you know put them cool. on put them on the site. Thank you. But also then with the Welsh language kind of thing because I suppose you know um, like Wales is a pretty small place but you know it's a long walk sort of thing but it, you know people tend to know each other. Yeah. Uh, and we talked about the music scene in Cardiff and what's happened to that and we talked about the guitar as a kind of a, a physical thing and these kind of commercial pressures are on us all the time so in terms of the Welsh music scene with it within the music scene itself mm-hmm. is that equally challenged is it a good time for Welsh musicians is it just the same as English or is it different I don't know I think it's a still really healthy and I think it's as healthy as it's ever been I think we've got one great band and I'm the first in the second year sorry uh Holly, she's in a band called Adwaith. Oh yeah, who recently won. They get quite a lot of attention, aren't they? Yeah, they're fantastic, and they recently mm. won the Welsh Music Prize. One of the big advantages of being on the Welsh music scene and being able to like sing in Welsh is that you can get professionalised quite quickly in terms of because it's a smaller pool. It's easier for the bands to get um, tracks onto radio, so, so they get that sort of exposure to professional environments. Mm. Uh, uh, maybe possibly a lot quicker than people on the English language scene because obviously there's more competition there and a, gr- a greater mass of bands and musicians doing it mm. so I think that's that's good and uh, well I just want to show off all my students now that, that we also got a master's student called Rydian who became second in uh, Canny Grimley which is Song for Wales uh, on the weekend yeah I think the Welsh language music scene is fighting fit and has been for quite some time and on a not quite as positive a note, but not quite as prestigious a note, of course, uh, the university here, we create that uh, sampler album every year, which is yes. currently going on. What's it called again? Create Vinyl. Mm. So, yeah, all the tracks are contributed to uh, uh, by students. Then we have this wonderful evening of listening to all the tracks and debating which one should make the... Oh, list. I don't agree with that, old boy. I think. The, yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. And it's rock and roll. And some, yeah, and genre. Past the port. Yeah, so genre preferences come into it, and then we uh, argue about is production important? It sounds yeah. great, the song's great, but the pr- production isn't that great. Oh, is that important? What's mm. important? I don't. Know. Yeah, but well, that's yeah. that. That's that's music, and there those kind of those kind of arguments. That's what that's what makes music so so fascinating, really, yeah. because there isn't really a right or wrong. No, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and of course, we also had the immersed festival, and that yeah. was very successful. And again, that was you know, I mean, it was not. This isn't a corporate kind of podcast but no, no. great that the university does that stuff yeah. and has that kind of impact through music I think. Yes, yeah it is, it's really good and it just puts us on the map as well I think the main triumph from, from these events is that your average punter would have doesn't even know that it's a student project so, so it's a student project uh, led by students, run by students they put on an event in the tram shed they fill the place out with a thousand people and uh, it's just as good as any other event that you'd go to you know and talking about events uh, we, we have to go to an event soon don't we we do we do yeah, yeah we've got a very exciting event this afternoon yeah, yeah. Alan thanks a, uh, thank a million you, for coming in great to talk to you thank Cheers. you thank you